Welcome to the first episode of 2024 for the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, your boy on social media at MMA LOTN, and the architect behind the MMA Fight Archive, making sure you leave no stone unturned when you're doing your research for these upcoming fights. We got 2,900 fighter profiles on there, close to that 3,000 mark. Also, you guys can be sure to see the LFA. A1 Combat, KSW, Fury FC, ACA, and Octagon cards that are coming up in January already posted on there. But not only that, we have everything posted all the way up until April as that is the latest card that is currently announced for all of the programs and promotions that we currently cover. Also new in 2024 is going to be the addition of Octagon, Brave FC, as well as Risen. So you guys can ensure that you can have even more promotions to study for in this new year. Again, there's a seven-day free trial available for you guys to try it out for free. And before you have to drop a dime, make sure you guys check it out again. That's the MMA Fight Archive. Check the link in the description below for that. All right. Now with that out of the way, we are covering UFC Vegas 84, which is the first UFC card of the year. It is headlined by a light heavyweight rematch between Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker, a fight that was actually... Uh, originally taking place at uh, October or in October at UFC 294, I believe was the card. Um, and unfortunately, there was a, a doctor oversight in regards to an eye poke, I believe it was, uh, that occurred to Johnny Walker. Uh, the referee or uh, the the doctor uh, believed that he was unable to continue. Uh, there was a miscommunication there, um, and that was that caused the fight to be stopped i think it was an an eye poke or actually a a knee to the downed opponent that's what it was from on clive but regardless the ufc has decided to run it back as they believe that there was no conclusion in that matchup and that's what we're getting this weekend we got a couple other fun fights on the card not to mention the co-main event a big time flyweight fight between manel cap and uh, matthias nicolau very fun fight there Curious to see who moves forward and closer to a UFC uh, flyweight title shot. This is also a rematch of a fight that I believe was Manal Cap's UFC debut, where I was, uh, sorry, it was uh, Matthias Nicolaou's return fight to the UFC, and that was a fight that he picked up the split decision victory in. Very close fight, should be closer or wider this time around you guys will find out once i break that down for you guys um couple quick things i want to just tick off the 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 charts here before we go into the breakdowns uh there's a ton of new patreon content for 2024 uh two things that you guys can expect is going to be the parlay party which is uh uh, I'm going to be giving you guys parlays for plus 100, plus 200, plus 300, plus 400, and plus 500. One parlay for each of those categories. For every UFC card, it will drop on Fridays on the Patreon page. So if you guys are degenerates and love your parlays, make sure you guys check that out. Also, I'm going to be diving into the suggested same game parlays as well. So for every matchup, I will drop a suggested same game parlay. I'll give you guys my confidence rating with it as well to see which ones I'm really feeling as I've very much neglected the uh, DraftKings options to go out there and uh, get same game parlays in MMA fights. It seems like it should be an easy spot to take advantage of. So I might as well make it easier for my patreon folks by doing it on there two more things uh quick picks 
I'm going to be adding three new regional promotions to the MMA um, or the regional MMA tier on the Patreon page. KSW, ACA, and Octagon MMA will now be under my coverage. Very much uh, looking forward to those three promotions, which are which are huge over there in the European and Asian scene. So I really want to take advantage of that. So if you guys are already Patreon members or looking for more coverage on other promotions, make sure you guys check out the Patreon to get access to those breakdowns and then lastly i have a new post called the fight forecast or the ufc fight forecast which is available on the patreon page where i give early predictions for all of the announced matchups for the ufc so everything all the way up until the end of march i have a prediction down for early prediction again they could possibly change once i get my official and uh final breakdowns out there but at least this gives you guys an idea of which which way i'm leaning on for a lot of these fights every single fight that's announced or going to be announced will be updated on the fight forecast and i'll give my early lean and prediction on that so make sure you guys check that out uh locky two-step and locky trinity obviously that segment drops on thursdays of fight weeks don't forget that on the patreon page you get access to those parlays nice and early on mondays sometimes the parlay price is better than it is on thursday when you the public gets it sometimes it's worse Regardless, if you want to get it first, you can find it on the Patreon page. Link for that, once again, is in the description below. And then lastly, shout out to the guys over there at Godzilla Wins uh, for providing your boy a platform to drop written content on a weekly basis. Wednesdays, the main event breakdown comes out. Thursdays, the three best money line spots comes out. So make sure you guys check out the Godzilla Wins folks, not just for MMA, but also uh basketball hockey they got it all nfl uh they got it all over there a ton of great writers a ton of great insight but if you want to follow your boy check it out link for those will be in the description below as well now lastly before i get into the breakdowns i do want to quickly insert this little bit of uh uh, I guess a cry for help in regards to audio engineers that are out there i'll cover that once i insert the clip here so I recently purchased a new laptop, the Alienware M16, and I'm still trying to use my Shure MV7 mic. However, as you guys can hear, it is a little tinny as I've discovered uh, through researching and trying to troubleshoot why this issue is persisting, and I can't figure out what is happening. So if you are some sort of audio engineer, tech savvy dude listening to the podcast and have any ideas of what I could do to potentially uh, rectify this and fix it so it's a lot easier for me to record using this mic and utilizing its complete capabilities, please drop a comment in the comment section below or try to reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at MMALOTN. It would make things a whole lot easier. Again, I'm using an Alienware M16 laptop with a Shure MV7 mic with the USB-C attachment. I've used it perfectly fine with my previous laptop. I'm, As you guys can hear in the rest of the podcast, I'm using it. I'm using the audio recording by connecting it to my phone and then transferring my phone's file to my uh, laptop and then just uh, connecting it that way. But I would rather just have everything in one spot if possible. So again, if you know or have any ideas of ways to troubleshoot this issue, please hit me up so we can get this fixed. Thank you. All right. Now with all of that stuff out of the way, let's get into the first breakdown for 2024. We're going to kick things off in the flyweight division with Joshua Van stepping in on short notice as he takes on UFC debutant Philippe Bunis. Now, 
Joshua Van coming from the Fury FC scene is already 2-0 in the UFC with solid performances against Zalgas Zumagulov and most recently against Kevin Borjas back in November. That was a fight where he started off slow, got hurt pretty early as Borjas was able to drop him, but Van managed to battle back into that matchup and really using his you know, consistent style of striking with his footwork, with his movement, and with his speed to really touch up uh, Borjas in rounds two and three and winning that fight on the scorecards. This kid is very talented. At 22 years old, he's nine and one. His prowess or best strength, I should say, is his striking with how fluid and fluid, how fluid and smooth he is with his striking but the most impressive part is the fact that he's improving his takedown defense and his get-ups he is not accepting bottom position which was the only reason for his lone defeat in professional mma and i think that's going to continue to improve and i think that we're going to continue to see him grow at an at an exponential rate his opponent this weekend felipe bunes was the former lfa flyweight champion a title in which he won in well last year January 2023, the first event of the LFA schedule, he defeated Yuma Horyuji. Uh, great performance for him there where he got the knockout and was able to wrap that strap around his waist. He was originally scheduled to come into the UFC, I believe, in middle of uh, the year. But unfortunately, a medical issue forced him out of his matchup. But the UFC decided to keep him around. And now they're making him uh, have his debut this weekend. Kid is a solid striker. He used to mainly go for grappling and look to utilize his jiu-jitsu to uh, nullify his opponents, but he's done a great job in terms of um, uh, improving his striking uh, and laying big damage on his opponents. His last loss was to Juicy A Formiga, which is a understandable loss considering that Formiga is a veteran of the game. But even before that, during Bunis's uh, stint with ACA, he was going up against very tough competition. I believe the combined record of his opponents that he had lost to was 25. Five and one, so we can cut him some slack there. At 34 years old, he's getting up there in age, obviously, but this still seems like a spot that he should be able to go out there and, and showcase some decent work. Um, through his first couple of UFC fights. Unfortunately for him, he's running into a guy in Joshua Van who's just a little bit slicker on the feet, a little bit slicker with the technical uh, defensive style of the grappling game, and that should allow him to really touch up Bunez on the feet. And as long as Bunez doesn't land anything crazy like uh, Bora has it in the first round of the Van fight, Van should be able to thwart most of Bunez's offense, and he should be able to land the bigger, better strikes, putting together a better repertoire, and I expect him to uh, win this fight uh, by decision. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Nicholas Mota going up against Tom Nolan. Uh, you got plus 270 on Mota and minus 330 on the debuting Tom Nolan. We'll start off on the Nicholas Mota side, who's coming off a very weird circumstance in his last fight against Trey Ogden. That was a fight where it clearly seemed like he was uh, minutes away from losing that fight by decision, but Ogden wrapped in a very tight choke, and it seemed like the referee had prematurely stopped that matchup, ultimately ruling it a no contest. I think Trey Ogden got absolutely hosed that night, as he was just minutes away from collecting both of his paychecks, but unfortunately a referee error caused that fight to be stopped. Now, Nicholas Mota is on a bit of a weird run right now. He's won three and has that one no contest. Or sorry, one, two and has that one no contest in his last matchup. It probably would have been one in three by now should that fight played out the way that it should have. Mota is a guy with a solid striking game, throwing in combinations and has solid power in his striking. Unfortunately for him, it seems like his t uh, durability and his chin has really been a flaw in his game, which causes him to get hurt very badly and possibly even finished by a lot of his opponents. If he's unable to keep up the durability, it's going to be tough for him to find success, especially considering that the prior 
priority and primary strength in his game is his striking and the power that he possesses. His takedown defense is not that bad, although we haven't really seen it too much on display uh, besides the Trey Ogden fight as most fighters look to go out there and strike with him. Uh, decent fighter, 30 years old, still long, young enough to make improvements, but something that usually doesn't improve with time is durability. So we'll see how that fares for Nicholas Mota in this matchup, especially against an undefeated killer like Tom Nolan, who has pretty much finished all but one of his professional fights. Nolan earned his contract on or through the contender series by defeating a very tough Bogdan grad last time, uh, utilizing his speed, his height, his uh, just physical advantage that he had in that matchup by absolutely destroying Grad, hurting him numerous times, and then finally putting him away near the ending of that first round. The kid's only 23 years old, comes from a striking background, and he is a massive lightweight, standing at six foot three with a 76-inch reach. And I think that's going to make it very difficult for a lot of his opponents to close that distance and get in on the hips to try to go for takedowns, or to even try to get off on their own offense, which is where he should be able to get the better of his opponents. Again, still very young, lacks competition against legitimate opposition and that could end up biting him in the ass in his first couple UFC fights but I think he's matched up pretty fairly here against Nicholas Mota in a fight where he should be able to utilize his four inch height advantage I believe it is um sorry it's a five wait one two that's a five inch height advantage as well as a six inch reach advantage I think he can employ that pretty well utilize that big speed utilize his elbows and I think he can brutalize Nicholas Moto within the first round and get him out of there minus 330 is a little bit too heavy for a fighter making his UFC debut especially with the lack of experience that he has especially against the guy who has 18 fights like Nicholas Mota has been fighting some of the best competition on the regional scene but still I think Nolan has the power, the youth, the durability, um, and the explosivity to land on Mota and get him out of there. So give me Nolan inside the distance, I'm going to say by KO, but I think he gets it done relatively easily. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Weston Wilson coming in at plus 550, going up against UFC debutante Gene Silva coming in at minus 800. We'll start off on the Weston Wilson side, who I'm still scratching my head as to why the UFC decided to sign this guy. He's 34 years old. He was only on a three-fight winning streak with his last loss coming to a former UFC fighter and Taruto Ishihara, who was able to knock him out. And Joe Anderson Brito was able to make quick work of him as well in uh, Wilson's short-notice UFC debut. I get it. He was brought in on short notice, but there are so many other better fighters who could have a far better UFC career than Wilson, and the UFC should have called upon somebody else. But Wilson's here to go 0-2 or 0-3 in the UFC um, and collect a couple paychecks, I guess. He is a Walmart version of Wonderboy as he comes from the same training camp, has that karate style, likes to use kicks, likes to use his blitz attacks to hurt his opponents. Um, he has some sneaky submissions up his sleeve as well. But the guys that he's beating compared to the guys that he's losing, there's a clear divide there. And this guy is not UFC level whatsoever. Again, this might be his last fight. The UFC might just be like, all right, you got your two fights in, peace out. But they're not giving him any favors here. It's going up against a guy like Gene Silva, who's 11-2 uh, right now on a tremendous winning streak, earned his contract uh, with a hard-fought victory over Kevin Vallejos uh, on the contender series, like I said. Uh, Silva, still only 27 years old, utilizes a solid striking game, has some decent jujitsu as well, but likes to utilize unorthodox and flashy strikes to hurt his opponents and most likely try to put them away with those. This guy is improving. He trains with the MMA fight nerds, which is a, uh, a, a 
team that is very much on the rise, uh, helmed by Kyle Bahayo. Um, I believe that Silva has a lot of potential, and this is going to be a layup of a fight for him to go out there and get his first UFC victory. Give me Silva, Silva inside the distance. The under one and a half is chalky as hell at minus 350. A lot of Wilson's fights don't really go that long, so I could see that cashing, but that's a, you know, that's a very chalky spot uh to try to play uh for a featherweight matchup but i do think that silva gets this done i think he gets it done early so yeah take what you want from that give me silva inside the distance all right moving over to the bantamweights now we got farid basharat coming in at minus 245 he's going up against taylor lapalus who comes in at plus 210 Starting off on the Bash Rat side of things, he's coming off a dominant performance over Clayton Rodriguez back in September in a fight that he was able to take him down relatively easily and then sink in his arm triangle choke to get the tap and the victory. This kid is very talented, just like his brother Javid. Both guys had come from a striking background and they're very clean and crisp from distance, utilizing their jab and combinations, but most importantly, that pull counter that they are so effective with but Farid more than Javid looks to take his opponents to the ground and utilize an efficient smothering game to eventually work to a dominant position to either control damage or find a submission over his opponents this kid is very good and I think at 26 years old making that move over to extreme couture the way that he did training under a guy like Jake Shields to continue to improve his grappling game the sky is the limit for Farid Basharat, and I believe he continues to get better on a fight-to-fight basis. His opponent this weekend is the extremely experienced 31-year-old, 19-3, Taylor Lapalus. Now, Lapalus made his triumphant return to the octagon back in September, actually on the same card that Basharat defeated Rodriguez, where uh, he was able to go out there and defeat Colin Lorraine on the scorecards 2-1. to one. I believe he lost the second round, but the third round he was able to bounce back and get that uh, that decision victory. Lapalus was originally 3-1 and one during his initial stint with the UFC between 2015 and 2016. He got released for some reason, but he made the most of it as he went 7-1 and one on the regional scene, capturing two regional titles as well, which have eventually uh, uh, allowed him to come back to the highest level of the sport in the UFC. And I'm glad the UFC decided to because he's very talented at 19-3. and three, That's a great record, especially considering the level of opponent that he's been facing on the regional scene. Heck, he even has a win over Nate Maness, who's currently on the UFC roster from back in their regional days. But Lapalus likes to utilize his range, his speed, and his striking to keep his opponents at bay. He has some decent power in his shots, but he's more than happy to go to a decision if that's what's required of him. The flaw in his game seems to be the grappling which he is improving don't get me wrong but as you saw in the Colin Lorraine fight if you are able to get him to the ground you could have some success from getting that control and uh, raining down some shots from that top position and getting some uh, success that way and I believe that's ultimately going to be the difference maker in this fight I think Basharat has a good enough striking game to contend with Lapalus on the feet but I think that we'll see Basharat do a great job in terms of mixing in takedowns or at least engaging in the clinch at opportunity moments for him to get the better of Lapalus. The line here at minus 245, a little wide. You know, again, Lapalus is no pushover. This guy only has three losses in 22 professional fights. It's not going to be that easy to defeat him, but even in a closely hard-fought battle, I expect Basharat to get the better of the grappling in, uh, spots and scenarios, which is what I think is going to be the ultimate deciding factor in this matchup. What I'd be looking to target is possibly Farid by decision, as I think that we'll get at least a decent plus money spot there. I'm hoping for at least plus 
plus 150. Uh, props have yet to drop, at least at the time of this recording. But I do think that Bashrat grinds this fight out, uh, stays competitive in the striking realm, but keeps Lapalus in a defensive position for the majority of this matchup, allowing Farid to pick up this win by decision. All right, sticking with the bantamweights, we're going to move over to a matchup here between Marcus McGee and Gaston Bolanos. We'll start off on the McGee side, who comes in at minus 265, and he has made good on his first two UFC matchups. He came in originally on short notice against Jerry Newsom and was able to find the submission to get him out of there. Last time around, he used his big punching power, which is what he was known for on the regional scene, to destroy JP Bays in the first round of their matchup. McGee is very explosive and tough to deal with, especially when he's successful in closing the pocket with that power and his blitz attacks to hurt his opponents and get them out of there. His lone defeat comes to Rafael Do Nascimento in an LFA matchup where Do Nascimento was able to utilize his grappling advantage, get McGee to the ground, and eventually sink in that rear naked choke to get the submission victory. McGee has been making improvements with his grappling game, so I don't think that's something that we have to worry too much about, at least at this stage of his UFC career. But at 33 years old, you know, he's kind of on the back end of his career at this point in time, and you got to believe that he's going to continue to lean on his power to try to get his victories. He trains out of the MMA lab, which is a great gym as well, so you know he's getting solid improvements and solid work in. But I wonder how far his power and his physicality can take him, especially when he starts taking steps up in competition against more technical fighters. And he's taking a step up in competition in terms of a more technical striker here in Gaston Bolanos, who comes in with a 7-3 record at plus 225. This is a guy that was a, a very questionable signing for the UFC, uh, at least in my opinion. He was only coming off of one win, uh, you know, mainly a striker. He competed for glory a couple times, and you saw his striking on display against Aaron Phillips. Uh, that was a fight where he won a very closely contested fight as Phillips was looking to take that fight to the ground, utilizing his BJJ black belt to try to submit and put Bolanos in bad positions. That's where I was most impressed with Bolanos because he showed great um, discipline, great patience in terms of just staying out of those submissions, working out of those submissions, working out of bad positions so that he can eventually get back to the feet and utilize the striking advantage, which is what he was successful in doing. I hope to see more improvements from him in terms of his actual takedown defense as he's been working alongside the CSA gym, which has been his main go-to gym for a long time. But he's been changing things up for this training camp, training at American Kickboxing Academy, as well as training at Team Alpha Male, both teams which are known for the grapple-heavy approaches. So if Bolanos has picked up anything over there in terms of uh, offensively, great. But defensively is most important. If he can keep this fight with McGee on the feet, this is a much closer fight than the minus 225 indicates, which is why I'm kind of scratching my head as to why we shouldn't be taking a shot on Bolanos. I get it. His last five does not look as good as McGee's last five, and McGee has been absolutely running through his competition, whereas Bolanos is having close fights against guys like Aaron Phillips. But every MMA fight is a, a different equation. It's a different puzzle that needs to be solved. And I feel in this puzzle, you're getting two strikers going at it, but you got the more technical striker or the guy with a better technical striking background and Bolanos as a plus 225 dog. Doesn't make sense to me. 
So I got to take a shot on Bolanos here as I think he can halt the freight train that is Marcus McGee here. And I think Bolanos has showcased that he has decent enough durability. Again, technically, he is the better fighter as well. And I think that he can make McGee pay for any of those shots that he overextends on. And as McGee continues to whiff at air and get countered, he's probably going to start to lose confidence. And that will allow Bolanos to continue to pick up steam as this fight goes into deeper waters. So I got to go with Bolanos as the dog here. Plus 225 is a no-brainer spot. Give me Bolanos and Bolanos by decision. Technical striking to get him the win. All right, moving on to the welterweight division. We got one of the most active fighters in this COVID era of the UFC, Matthew Samuelsberger. Stepping into the cage for the 10th time since August of 2020, he takes on Preston Parsons, who's looking to rebound from a loss to Trevin Giles. We'll start off on the Summersberger side, who's on a two-fight losing streak right now. After he had a very successful fight against Jake Matthews at the ending of 2022, I believe it was. Uh, that was a fight where Summersberger hurt him numerous times and picked up a decision victory. And that really made a lot of people believe that he turned the corner and he could be a fighter that we really need to keep our eye on. Unfortunately for him, he got outgrappled by Jeremiah Wells. No matter how many times we saw Summersberger hurt Wells, Wells was still able to get on on the takedowns and control Summersberger on the mat. And then last time around, it was a close fight against Earl Medich until Medich was able to hurt him in that final round and put him away just over that two and a half round mark. Summersberger is a guy that mainly used to uh, rely on his physicality, his power and his explosivity to hurt his opponents or put them in bad positions and get them out of there. I believe he had a football background from prior uh, uh, before he started his MMA journey. But he's still a solid fighter. We have to respect his power. He has 10 knockdowns in 10 UFC fights. He's only produced one actual knockout in the UFC, which is very puzzling considering that statistic that I just dropped on you guys. But it kind of leads you to believe like, okay, this guy has good power in his hands, but I wonder if he has the fight IQ to find a way to get these guys out of there even after hurting them. So that's a big question mark there. His opponent, Preston Parsons, very solid fighter, had a very close fight against Trevin Giles, a fight that was 1-1 going into that final round, but a lot of people believe that Giles was more effective and deserved that split decision victory that night. Parsons is uh, his nickname is pressure and that's perfect for a guy like this who likes to just stay forward stay moving forward keep that front foot going so that he can stay in his opponent's face but most often than not it's utilizing that pressure with his grappling taking his opponents to the ground smashing them from that top position the majority of his wins on the regional scene coming by finish i believe he only has one decision victory on the regional scene he obviously has that decision victory over evan elder in his lone ufc win thus far but if he can continue to work on his striking defense where he can just stay safe enough until he eventually dives in on the legs of his opponents, pushes them up against the cage, drags them to the mat and do what he does best. He can be quite successful. He's still only 28 years old. So I think that this is a guy with a little bit more grooming, a little bit more maturing, and a little bit more experience against uh, more experience in legitimate competition. This guy could be pretty good. Plus 110. Give me the grappler in this spot. You know, Semmelsberger is obviously very dangerous. Maybe if you hone in on Semmelsberger by knockout, that might be the way to go about it. But... We saw what happened in the Jeremiah Wells fight and Parsons can push just as good if not better of a pace than Jeremiah Wells. Wells might have better control just off of his pure jiu-jitsu, but I think that Parsons' pace and relentlessness could match what Wells was able to be successful with against Summersberger. So a plus 110, I got to go with the dog here. I think we're going to see Parsons go out there, pick this fight, up, uh, win this fight by decision, just strictly off of pace, pressure, and forward, uh, forward control. All right. 
Let's move over to the heavyweights here where we got Andre Arlovsky, the ageless Andre Arlovsky, coming in as a plus 425 uh, underdog. He goes up against the minus 600 Waldo Cortez Acosta. Start off on the Andre Arlovsky side, who's currently riding a two-fight losing streak. He's been finished in both of those fights and showcasing that if he is facing any adversity, he's fine with just looking for the door and getting out of there. Uh, normally, we see him utilizing a volume-based striking approach, uh, using his footwork well, finding the time to crash the pocket and let off a couple of strikes and then get back out into distance, continuing to pivot away from his opponents and just utilizing his veteran skill and experience to try to get his hand raised. I'm surprised at how successful he's actually been in his 40s since still being in the UFC. As we were like writing him off 10 years ago when he continuously got knocked out and knocked out and knocked out but his chin held up against a lot of the opponents that he's been able to get his hand raised over uh during this covid era but we're seeing when he faces a stiff competition stiff resistance he doesn't mind looking for the door his opponent this weekend, Waldo Cortez Acosta, suffered his first professional loss against Marcos Hargirio de Lima uh, via decision. De Lima utilized takedowns and uh, leg kicks to try to slow Cortez Acosta down, and that was enough for Lima to get his hand raised. Uh, Cortez Acosta picked up a big win last time around against Lucas Dresky to get back on the winning track, where he showcased a little bit more of an aggressive approach. What we normally see from Cortez Acosta is him working behind his jab, utilizing his footwork, and utilizing... Um, uh, just heavy output, uh, consistent output, constant output to try to outpoint his opponents and get his hand raised by decision. Uh, what earned him, uh, I believe he won the LFA title against Thomas Peterson, was uh, you know just just staying in the fight. You know He was getting out grappled by Peterson, but Peterson seemed to slow down. That allowed Cortez Acosta to just start getting ahead and eventually get him out of there late. Um, he's a solid striker, you know, very impressive for a guy that came from a baseball background, but he's really picked up the MMA game while the striking game well, and it's showing off in a lot of his performances. Uh, he got shit on a lot from a lot of people in 2023 for some reason. I don't really understand it. I think he's better than a lot of people, uh, you know, lead him on to be, but even minus 600 in this matchup, which I believe will be a lot closer than the odds uh, suggest. I'm not willing to go minus 600 on uh, Cortez Acosta here, but I'm not willing to go plus 425 on Orlovsky. This will be a striking battle, but I think that the output of Waldo, and as long as he stays consistent with his jab, should allow him to get the win here. The spot that I'm most intrigued by, though, uh, is going to be the over one and a half, which is currently around minus 130, minus 140, depending on your bookie. I expect this fight to be a striking battle, and I think that number largely has to do with the fact that we saw Cortez Acosta... Um, you know, start to dress you the way that he did last time. Um, so let's try to take advantage of uh, maybe some of the recency bias here on the total and go for the over, which is what normally happens in Arlovsky fights and what normally happens in Cortez Acosta fights. Look for this to be a back and forth striking battle with Cortez uh, Acosta getting the upper hand in most of these exchanges and for him to win this fight by decision. So maybe even sprinkling his decision prop, not a bad idea if you can get plus 200 or plus 300 or better. But over, over one and a half, anything better than minus 150, I think is worth a shot here. Give me Waldo Cortez Acosta by decision, but uh, I'm going to stay away from that money line. All right, next up, we got a banger of a middleweight fight here between uh, Phil Hawes and Bruno Fajera. Both these guys coming in at a pick at the time of this recording, but we know what to expect from this matchup. We'll start off on the Phil Hawes side. Who's one in three over his last four fights? He's gotten finished in his last two fights, showcasing that this guy still has a durability issue. He looks 
very good for the first two minutes of his fights. He throws with so much power, so much heat, and so much confidence. But once he gets dinged right on the button, it's not that often that you see him survive that type of shot and try to keep coming forward uh it's so weird man the guy uh used to be a strong wrestler that would have very boring fights taking opponents to the ground and just smothering them but uh as of late he's shown a lot more confidence in his striking and sometimes it pays off like he had that fight against ron win uh you know he looked so good in the first two minutes of the chris curtis fight so good in the first couple minutes of the alaskero fight even the delize fight but at a certain point he just drops off and something happens, he gets caught, and he gets put away. That's always going to be a big question mark for him. So he can look like a championship caliber fighter for the first couple minutes of a fight, but then you got to worry about if he's unable to get that quick finish, what's it going to look like when he starts facing adversity himself? His opponent this weekend, Bruno Fajera, suffered his first loss last time around as he went up against Nur Sultan Ruzi Boev uh, in a short-notice matchup for Fajera, who uh, I believe he was scheduled to fight Phil Haas, if I'm not mistaken, but Ruzi Boev stepped in. Uh, that opponent was way too big for Fajera. Uh, he struggled a lot to try to close the distance there, and then whenever he did, he left himself open to be countered, and Ruzi Boev was able to knock him out and get that victory that night. Fejera, still solid fighter. The Hulk, uh, BJJ Black Belt, has a ton of power in his hands as well. But if he wants to be successful, I think he needs to lean on his wrestling or at least mixing in a little bit more than just focusing on the striking. He can do big damage from that top position by taking his opponents to the ground and smashing them, like I said. But I think that uh, he's going to struggle to do that here against Hawes. I think this is going to be a gunslinger of a fight. I'm going to have to lean slightly uh, to the Fejera side as I might trust his durability a little bit more like this is a fight that either guy could go down i think that this is a fight that probably does not reach the second round so maybe a fight does not start round two prop might be the best way to go about it uh, i know the under one and a half is roughly around minus 250 a little bit chalky but it's hard not to believe that's what's going to transpire considering the way that these guys fight and the the type of heat that they throw with I'm going to lean with the Fejera side here i think he'll be a little bit uh better with getting to the chin um I think he has a little bit dur better durability, but that's just, you know, that that's just, that could be anything. <laughs> like it, it's it's very tough to be very certain on that aspect because both guys pack such power. But I'm gonna go with Fajeda here. Uh, this pass, this fight will be a pass for me. I might just go with the fight doesn't start round two prop and just call it a day. But uh, this is a coin flip fight. It, if anybody's you know truly invested on one side or the other, uh, you know, I'd be I'd be. I'd be hesitant. I'd be very hesitant. But I'm going to go with Fajera and Fajera by knockout. All right. Moving over to the bantamweights here. We got Ricky Simone coming in at minus 175. He goes up against Mario Bautista, who comes in at plus 150. Now, Ricky Simone last time around came up short against Song Yudong, uh, where he got finished in the final round of their fight. Uh, that was a fight where Simone really struggled to get the fight to the ground. As, uh, Song did a great job in terms of improving his takedown defense and working to just stay off the fence, stay off any uh, precarious positions that could put him in bad spots uh, or that could give Simone a, a leg up and potentially landing a takedown. And Simone was, you know, rendered 
uh, defenseless against a technically better striker. You know, Simone throws with a lot of big heat, a lot of winging shots uh, with his striking, but he does his best work when he's able to get opponents to the ground and just smother them with that crushing top pressure and that improving jujitsu game that we see from him, like he had against Jack Shore, where he hurt him, followed up with the submission, and got him out of there. I think Simone, at 31 years old, is still live to find himself in title contention. He just needs to string together a couple of better wins and look to, you know, find a plan B if his wrestling game is not working against a better striker and that's what he's going to have to do here against Mario Bautista who's on a very solid run of his own I believe it's a six-fight winning streak now for Mario since losing to Corey Sandhagen in his UFC debut this is a guy that continues to get better every single time as well he's very lethal in the striking game the way he puts combinations together and utilizes his nasty elbows to cut his opponents up and he has a decently aggressive BJJ game unless his opponents are successful in establishing a dominant top position where he's um kind of struggled in the past from getting out uh his last fight against Simone Blackshear was a short notice spot for Blackshear but Blackshear had a very good account of himself that night he landed some takedowns had some good damage and put Bautista into some uncomfortable positions but ultimately it seemed like it was the damage-based approach of Bautista that a lot of people favored to get him that decision victory but look at the level of guys that he's defeating Jay Perron Brian Kelleher Benito Lopez, who was coming off the couch after five years or something, and then Guido Canetti. All praise, all credit to Bautista going out there and doing what he should have done, finishing pretty much every single one of those guys, but that's what he should have done. Now he's fighting the top of the division. He's fighting top 10 guys. He's going to have to showcase that his, his level of improvement and skills is starting to catch up with how high and meteorically he's rising through the bantamweight division. But I think he's running into a tough test here in Ricky Simone as I don't think that Bautista has a good enough defensive grappling game and takedown defense to deal with Simone with what Simone is looking to implement in this matchup. Simone has far better competition or uh, experience against legitimate competition his wrestling is one of the best in the bantamweight division and I'm not expecting Bautista to showcase the type of takedown defense that Song Yudong showcased so give me Ricky Simone here I think he grinds this fight out I think we see a classic Ricky Simone type of performance uh, and I think he wins this fight on the scorecards and uh, halts the six-fight winning streak of Mario Bautista all right, moving on to the next fight here. We got veterans going at it as we have a lightweight fight between Jim Miller. He takes on Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. Minus 115 on Miller, minus 105 on Benitez. Although I am seeing some love come in on Miller as fight week has started to approach. Now, Miller's coming off of a quick knockout victory over Short Norris replacement Jesse Butler last time around. But the intriguing thing about this matchup is the fact that I believe the UFC wants to get Jim Miller onto the UFC 300 card considering he fought on UFC 100, he fought on UFC 200, and why not complete the trifecta by getting him in that April card? So this will be a relatively quick turnaround for him if he hopes to fight on on that April card. Uh, Miller is a guy that has largely... Uh, succeeded off of getting his win early in matchups. Uh, he's very uh, strong with the power that he possesses. He has a nasty choke game as we've seen in the past, but this is a guy that starts to fall off uh, the later fights go. I believe the last time he won a decision was back in 2016 uh, or 2017 uh, as mostly he goes out there and finishes his opponents. The majority of, or sorry, um, uh, 
it's been a long time since we've seen him win by decision. And especially when we see him lose, we see him lose by decision because he starts to fall off in rounds two and rounds three. He has big power in his hands. He utilizes the southpaw position, likes to keep a consistent leg kicking game, but he likes to hurt his opponents and tries to put them away. If he's unable to do so, things start to get a little bit sketchy. And now the fact that he's 40 years old, that's something you have to worry about as well. Uh, moving over to his opponent, Gabriel Benitez, who's coming off an extended layoff. I believe it's been over a year and a half since we've seen him throw down in the cage. And the last time we did see him throw down was a knockout victory over Charlie Ontiveros. Very impressive performance from him there. But the one thing that is starting to be questioned uh, about Benitez is his durability. His last two losses have come by knockout. Uh, but he's a guy that normally relies on his technical striking advantages in his fights to defeat his opponents. Uh, he doesn't normally go for takedowns. I think he's only completed two takedowns throughout his UFC career. He's very talented. He trains out of AKA as well. Uh, he has a nasty kicking game, really loves to target the body of his opponents. And if he has a good enough technical advantage over his opponents, that's where he's able to, to come out on top. Uh, and that's where I think he has the advantage here over Miller. I just have hesitations. One, regarding the layoff that he's coming off of. And two, his possible diminishing durability. We know if Miller cracks him and lands in that first round, things could go wayward for Benitez pretty quickly. But if Benitez is able to keep within himself, stick to the game plan, stick to his technical striking advantage, he could really chew up Jim Miller from distance, really hurt him to the body, and possibly pull away late in this matchup. So I'm going to lean Benitez ever so slightly by decision. Again, the majority of Jim Miller's losses coming by decision. So if Benitez wins this fight, I don't know if he puts him away. I think he more so just outworks him, lands the better strikes, lands better damage, maybe cuts up Jim Miller, and then wins this fight on the scorecards. But I'd stay cautious about this fight. I could see more money coming in on Jim Miller this week. So if we could get Benitez closer to plus 140, plus 150, I would stand pat wait to potentially get that line if we don't get that line i'm happy to just pass on this fight as a whole but i'm going to go with benitez here putting together a better striking uh, performance and getting his hand raised by decision all right co-main event up here big flyweight matchup it's actually a rematch between matthias nicolau who comes in at plus 205 and manel cap who comes in at minus 240 now, both these guys, the last time they competed against each other was four fights ago or five fights ago. Um, last time around, we saw Matthias Nicolau actually go out there and get knocked out by Brandon Royval. That set up Royval for his title shot. But Nicolau was on a solid winning streak, especially since returning to the UFC uh, after he had let, been let go um, a couple years back. But he showcased solid uh, combination of striking and takedowns to control his opponents and get that uh, knockout victory like he did over Matt Schnell. But uh, Nicolau is a very complete fighter all around. Um, I just have his question marks about his uh, striking against better technical strikers. His opponent this weekend, Manel Cap, uh, is on a four-fight winning streak of his own. Last time around, he took on short notice Felipe Dos Santos after Kai Car France was forced to pull out of that matchup. Manel Cap. Uh, Utilized his striking advantage as he always did. Uh, Dos Santos had some decent moment of his own, moments of his own, but Cap was able to get the better of that fight uh, over 25 minutes, or sorry, over 15 minutes, and get his hand raised by decision. But we've been seeing a lot of improvements from Cap ever since his two-fight losing streak that got him into the UFC. He's trusting his power more, and that's translated for two knockout losses in his last four wins, or sorry, two knockout wins in his last four wins, but also the confidence in knowing that he can work back up to his feet if he is taken down he has tremendously improved his takedown defense which allows him to keep fights in the striking realm where he normally has a speed advantage as well as a power advantage over his opponents at 30 years old fully immersed in the extreme fighting or extreme couture fighting system 
I believe that we're going to see the best version of an El Cap this weekend. Now, quickly talking about their first meeting back in uh, 2020, I believe it was, or 2021. Uh, close fight. But it was a fight where Nicolau ever so slightly won that uh, just off of a third round performance where it seemed to most people that he landed the more significant shots. Cop was landing more like volume for sure, but it seemed the people that scored it for Nicolau scored it for him due to landing better technical strikes. But I think a lot of the... Uh, the, the main thing to focus on here is Cap's improvements in his takedown defense. I think that will allow him to avoid what uh, Nicolau was successful with in the first round of their fight where he kept him down and was able to win that round just off of control. But if Cap is allowing this fight to be taking place in the striking realm for 15 minutes, I fully expect him to land the better strikes and to land more damage, maybe even land a knockout. But I think he's far superior to Nicolau in the striking realm. And I think there, the big difference we're going to see here is, well, two big differences. The takedown defense will be far improved from an L cap as well as his get-ups, but also the confidence that Cap is going to have. Four-fight winning streak, fighting the best and looking the best he's ever looked. The confidence is, is at an all-time high, and I think that will allow him to really uh, get into his groove here against Nicolau. Stuff a couple of the takedowns, land the big shots, possibly a knockout. I'm going to call it a um, a decision victory for Cap, as I think that uh, Nicolau trying to slow this fight down with the clinch and looking for takedowns will eat up a lot of minutes in this fight, but... All during that happening, Cap will be landing uh, damage. Cap will be landing damage in open space. And that will allow him to go out there and win this fight by decision. All right. Main event time here. We got light heavyweights. Another rematch. It's funny that this card is headlined by two rematches. Co-main event and main event. Main event light heavyweight. Magomed Ankalaev coming in at minus 550. Going up against Johnny Walker who's coming in at plus 400. Now, obviously, the last time that these guys threw down, uh, it was an illegal knee, I believe, that Uncle I have landed. Uh, and then the referee deemed Walker unfit to continue. And I believe a lot of it just had to do with the miscommunication and the uh, the greenness of the referee, as we've never seen him before. And he had uh, made a mistake earlier that night as well. Um, and that fight, that fight was uh, stopped, called a no contest. Regardless... Magomed Ankalaev looking to still battle back and get back into a title fight after going to a draw against uh, Jan Blachowicz uh, at the ending of 2022. Um, close fight, I believe it was the the calf kicks of Blachowicz that was causing Ankalaev issues. But outside of that, I still believe Ankalaev is one of the best lightweights, light heavyweights on the planet, if not the best. Uh, smooth striking. I love his striking game. Um, you notice that he fights from either stance just as comfortably. You know, uh, the main thing that he looks to do is counter his opponent uh, or counter his opponent's stance. So if uh, his opponent comes at him at uh, with an orthodox stance, he's going to go southpaw. If his opponent comes southpaw, he's going to go orthodox. Like he just loves to mix it up with his opponents to try to just keep them off guard, just really not know what to expect. And like I said, he's just as comfortable from both sides. Great counter striker, great combinations, has solid power, never really... Um, overextends, never really puts himself into bad positions. Sometimes that may cause for a boring fight like it was against Thiago Santos, but sometimes they may cause or allow a knockout to come, just like it did against Dalcha Lungiambula, against Iwan Kutelaba. This guy is very skilled, and he has a good enough uh, takedown game that if he wants to really mix it up and really stay safe enough, he can drag guys to the mat and really do some good damage from there. That's what he started to do against Johnny Walker until that illegal knee ended up hitting. So, very solid fighter, still only 31 years old. His opponent this weekend, Johnny Walker, looking in the best form of his career, 
was on a three-fight winning streak up until that Magomed Ankalaev fight. I guess you can still call it a three-fight winning streak. Uh, finishing guys, using solid, uh, um, you know, showing confidence in his power, um, showing confidence in his skill level, uh, and, and really trusting his coaches over there at uh, SBG in Ireland. Um, he's a solid fighter, uh, like I said, but I, I just don't know if he has what it takes to compete with the best of the division. And I think that's what we saw against Magomed Ankalaev. It was a relatively pedestrian start to the fight, but I think that once Ankalaev started to decide that, okay, I'm going to wrestle here, that's where we saw Walker really start to like, okay, this is where I might find myself into some trouble. And I think it was just a matter of time before Ankalaev really started to put it together, especially with his wrestling and really wear on Johnny Walker. Now, minus 550 is a tough spot to really be confident in considering the type of knockout power and explosivity that Johnny Walker brings to the table, especially with the type of confidence that he has now as well. But I think that Ankalaev is smooth enough disciplined enough and technical enough to stay away from the big power of uncle or from walker and he can really lean on that clinch game that wrestling game to wear on walker to drain walker of his, his gas tank um he could potentially finish him late in this fight but i think for the most part we're going to see uncle i go out there drag this fight out uh it might be a boring one um but i think that we're going to see this go over one and a half so if you can get that over one and a half at a decent enough number i think it's worth a shot here especially knowing that we're going to see uncle Ev go to his grappling just as he did in their first fight that's going to cause us to go into the second round the third round possibly even the fourth round the official prediction is going to be uncle Ev by decision Low confidence on the decision prop, but I do think that Uncle Ive gets his hand raised relatively easily here. Walker, like I said, looks in his career best shape, but I think he's going to fumble under the technical and discipline of, or technicality and discipline of Uncle Ive. Uncle Ive by decision, and hopefully he finds himself in a title fight, which is something that he deserves considering the outcome of that Blachowicz fight. There you guys go. Breakdowns on all fights for UFC Vegas 84. This week, we also have LFA 175 or 174 going down. So if you want breakdowns for that, check out the Patreon page. I'm already dropping breakdowns for that as early as Monday as odds just dropped for us. Um, yeah, a ton of great content coming throughout the week. Like I said, stay tuned for all of that good stuff. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Drop that like and subscribe if you haven't already. And I will see you guys again tomorrow for the top three lock of the night candidates. Peace. Last thing.